0: I want to give you a tremendous welcome to this program today because this is a great program. On occasions I get letters from people who are incarcerated. This letter today is from a man, I'm going to deal with a letter today from a man who was incarcerated for his faith. So I want you to hear this because it's going to bless you through and through. But firstly, Would you please welcome today George Sampson from Riverside. He's going to come, he's going to sing for us, and we're going to get blessed. I want to welcome you today, my brother. Thank you.
1: till yeah. i faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see and all i have needed Thy hand hath provided
0: Share with you a letter from prison written by a Jewish man who was also a Roman citizen. He was in prison because of his faith, because of his teaching and his preaching. He was considered to be a dangerous character. You know, that's going to happen again. Did you know that? The day is going to come when. The government is going to put people in prison. They're going to be called terrorists because they cause terror through the preaching of the truths of the Bible. This man was imprisoned, we believe, in the city of Rome, over here in in Italy. He was awaiting trial before one of the great emperors, Nero, one of the most Profligate wasters the world has ever seen, and he wrote a letter over over here to a, a little church that God had raised up through his ministry, and that was the church in Philippi there you 've got Greece and Turkey, Jerusalem, the Mediterranean Sea, the Black Sea, and then you come down and there was a colony. it was a famous. Influential center, the city of Philippi. And sometime before, Paul had gone there because he'd had a vision from God and he saw a man saying, Come over and help us. That was the man from Macedonia. And Philippi was a city in Macedonia. And when he went over there, he preached the gospel, and there was a slave girl. Who was possessed by an evil spirit. And uh, he called out the evil spirit. And because this slave girl was no longer a source of wealth. For certain profligates. He was thrown in prison. And that was the place where there was the great earthquake. And the jailer came in in the prison in Philippi. And said what must I do to be saved? And Paul said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That was in Philippi. So that's how the church was started with an earthquake and through the preaching of the gospel. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the letter written from prison, the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to show you what Paul has to say, not only to the people of his day, But to the people of our day, to you and to me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, a minister like every other Christian is called not to be a Lord, but to be a servant of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, the saints, the people called out of the world, called to be saints together with all the overseers or the bishops or the elders and the deacons. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget it, my friend. There is no peace without grace. And the reason the Middle East is in such a terrible mess today between the Palestinians and the Israelis is because they have no idea of the grace of God. And you can't have peace in your heart, you can't have peace in your home unless you've got the grace of God. Verses three to five, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with Joy, pray with joy my friend because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. When you pray you ought to thank God and you ought to pray with joy. That's what the Bible says. Prayer ought to be a joyful thing. And the great apostle Paul, this man who made more influence, who was the greatest influence in the history of the last 2,000 years after Christ, that's Paul, the greatest man with the greatest influence, St. Paul, he tells us here that when God starts a work in you, God will finish that work. And if you come to Christ, and if you believe in Christ, you need not be fearful that you are going to be lost. Because the Bible says, he who started a good work in you is going to finish that work. And the congregation said, hallelujah. Now verses, we're going to come down a little bit. Down to verse 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, this is in Caesar's palace, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly i want you to know today what paul is saying here has a reference to us because paul tells us that god works in adversity can you hear what i'm saying Amen. paul says even his chains were for the glory of god because romans 8:28 is always relevant always true all things In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who believe in him, who trust in him, who've been called according to his purpose. Even his chains were for the glory of God. And people in Caesar's household became believers in Christ because of his chains. Think of the penetrating power of the gospel. You can't keep it down. Now, verses 15 and onwards. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. That's always been true. But others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now listen, the most important thing, the one thing that a minister of the gospel ought to do is not to preach some policy, not to preach some church program But a minister, listen to me, a minister is called to preach Christ. Christ, first and last and best in everything. Preaching Christ. Paul was called to preach Christ and he did it. We are called to preach Christ, his pre existence, his incarnation, his sinless life, his divinity, his love his atoning sacrifice, his resurrection, his intercession, his glorious return. Recently, I went to a great church in Australia and they said to me, are you going to tell us what you did in Hanayara? I said, I haven't come here to give a report about what I've done. I've come here to preach Christ. So Paul said, whatever happens, if Christ is preached, that is what matters. We don't preach ourselves. Come down to verse 21. I love this verse. For to me to live is to Christ and to die is gain. Do you, do you have any idea what Paul is talking about, my friends? To live is Christ. The Christ is the very center of my life. That the reason I live is because of Christ. Christ was not just somebody for Paul. Christ was everything for Paul. God said through Moses, you've got to love me first and foremost to live as Christ. Christ is my focus, said Paul, my passion, my life, my hope. I'm driven on, Paul said, because of Christ. Verse 22 and onwards. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul said he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Do you? He said, life is so hard. The difficulties are so great. The ingratitude is so Overwhelming, He said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Let me tell you something. The worst thing that can happen to a child of God is that he has a little sleep. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because when a person dies in Christ, he falls asleep in Christ and he knows nothing at all. And when a person falls asleep in Christ, he enters into eternity and the next thing he will know will be the face of Christ. Therefore, Paul, looking forward to the resurrection, said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. One day, if you and I follow Christ, As Paul followed Christ, we will be with Christ in paradise. What a glorious promise to know that one day we are going to depart and be with Christ. Look at verse 29. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. Now I want you to know this. If you and I are true to God, we are going to suffer for Christ. The poet said, shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. There is no crown without a cross. What people want today in this land, they want the crown, but they don't want the cross. But there is no crown without suffering. And one day, the Apostle Paul is going to wake up in glory. When we were over in the Solomon Islands, a young woman, a beautiful young woman of 18 and 19 years of age, came to us and she said, I want to be baptised. But my father has told me if I am baptised this coming Sabbath in that crocodile-infested river where we had the baptism... She said, my father is going to beat me and that he's going to throw me out of my home. Does anybody know anything about that? If you take a stand for Christ, it is going to cost you something. It is going to cost you your life. Paul said, it is my privilege, he said, to suffer for Christ because there is no crown Without the cross, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his spirit, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's talking here about unity, but not uniformity. He's talking about selfish ambition in the church, how I've seen it down through the years, how people become so petty and they fight to become head elder. You've never seen it? Thank God we got a head elder here who is a servant of God. He serves God. He's a head elder because he's the best man in this church for the job, I tell you. But I've been in churches, large churches and small churches, and the time of the nominating committee is, and it happens at every echelon in the church, where people fight to get a position in the church. I say... They have their reward because they will certainly not go to heaven if they're controlled by selfish ambition. We are called to be the servants of Christ, not the servants of men. Please now, verses 5 and onwards, and I believe this is quite appropriate that I'm asking my friend, Blake, wexler who comes with all the traditions of the jewish nation and the jewish people he came to this church as an unbeliever but today he rejoices in christ the messiah jesus the messiah
2: who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here was
0: a man who, like Blake, did not believe in Jesus. Nobody should ever say that our faith is against the Jews. Christians have done terrible things to the Jews. Jews. But we should never forget the great truth that Jesus, our Lord, was a Jew. And St. Paul was a Jew. And the Bible is a Jewish book. But here Paul, the Jew, talks about Christ, Jesus. He talks about how the self-existent God emptied himself and went to the cross to redeem us from all our unrighteousness and to save us for all eternity. How great must be his love. Paul writes verses 14 to 16 he describes true Christianity. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Don't be a moaner. Don't be a complainer so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And he goes on. The Apostle Paul, who lived in one of the most depraved societies, the Roman society, So that a Christian was called to be a light in the world. That a Christian was called to shine. A Christian was not called to blend in. A Christian was not called to be a superficial comedian, but a strong person. And in the midst of a depraved and paganized and evil society, a Christian was to shine as a light, like the stars, and hold out the word of God. You say, but this is extraordinary. Most Christians are the same as the world. That is because most who profess the name of Christ are not Christians, even though they go to church. Thus, we think of the words, "Soldiers of Christ arise, verse seventeen and eighteen, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. A Christian is called to be a joyful person, my friend. We are called. To smile through the tears. Christianity, I would remind you, is a grand thing. A Christianity is a grand, upbeat, hopeful, positive, enduring, triumphant enterprise. Thus, we are called to rejoice. And if you live in a home where everything is black, and darkness, and where people are full of negative ideas, you are called to rejoice and to shine like a light in the world. And when you come to this church, you should come and meet a group of people who are a rejoicing, happy, smiling people. Because the gospel takes away the negative attitude and transforms the life. We are called to rejoice. Look at verse 19 to 22. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that when I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests. What has changed? Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. One of the bright lights in the life of this man in a prison in Rome was this young man who was like a son to him. Because he was consistent and he was loyal, he was tried and he was true. Like Epaphroditus, verses 25 to 27. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I thought, I thought that Christians didn't get sick. If I turn on television here in the United States of America, there is program after program where the preacher tells people if they're sick, it's a sin. And it is always the will of God to heal the sick. It is not true. The saints do get sick. And Epaphroditus got so sick, and why didn't Paul, the prince of the apostles, Apostles heal him on that occasion because God doesn't always call the preacher to heal the sick. That is why. And sickness may be a result of sin, and I'm talking about sin in general because we belong to a sinful human race. But you should be comforted to know today that God does not always heal the sick. But on this occasion, probably through natural remedies. Epaphroditus got well again. He'd been sent from this church to help Paul when he was in prison. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to call my dear friend, Blake Wexler, and he's going to read a great passage where Paul discusses his Jewish credentials. And please notice it as Blake reads it, chapter 3, verses down
2: to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Amen. So here you got Paul. He was a
0: Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews. He'd been brought up in the most legalistic environment He was brought up to believe that a person was made right by doing right. He was brought up to believe that righteousness came by a person's attainment, but not through atonement. And so Paul, even though he was filled with religion up to the top of his head, did not have the love of God in his soul. And Paul went out to persecute the Christians and he hated the Christians and he hated their Lord, Jesus Christ. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And as he goes along the road to Damascus, he has a divine encounter and Christ says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And Paul finds Christ and he becomes the greatest Christian perhaps that we've seen since the days of Jesus. And Paul gives his testimony. He said, once I believed that I could be saved by keeping the law. But he said, now I have a new experience and he calls it the righteousness that comes through faith. And this gives us the doctrine of righteousness by faith or righteousness through faith that I come as a sinner to the foot of the cross and I confess my sins and as I accept Christ he gives me as a gift his own perfect righteousness and I stand in the sight of a holy God as though I'd never sinned and Paul says it is because of this that I look forward to the resurrection of the dead. You think of this. That one day this man who is beheaded for his faith in Christ is going to hear the voice of the Son of God and he's going to walk out of his tomb and he's going to live forever and be with Christ. I want to say to every person who is watching the telecast, I want to say to you, righteousness is a gift. It is not by attainment. It is by atonement. We are saved by works. It is true. But not our works, but by Christ's works. And if I come today, just as I am a sinner with all my faults, and if I come to Christ And truly believe in him. I receive in that moment the gift of everlasting life. That is why a Christian is joyful and glad. And a Christian then becomes, by the grace of God, a new person. And what drives a Christian on? I want you to hear this. What drives a Christian on? It is gratitude. When you know how much God has loved you and how Christ has died for you, you will not be a clock watcher, but you will want to serve God with all your heart and all your soul. I know that there are people who come to church here, and you come to church reluctantly. I know this. And you look upon church as an insurance policy. You believe that if you join the church, the insurance policy will be fire insurance and will save you from the hell of judgment at the last days. But when you know Christ, you will serve Christ not because you have a feeling, I've got to do this. You will serve Christ because you love him and you have a sense of gratitude. When I was a boy of 17, I discovered Christ. Or better, Christ discovered me. And and I had been brought up in a strict seventh-day Adventist legalistic home where all I heard was, do, 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 cock a doodle do," And I hated it like many do. And when I discovered that Christ loved me, really loved me, and had died for me, I was overcome and dazed by amazement. And gratitude filled my soul from the top down to the bottom of my feet. I was filled with gratitude. I've been actively involved in preaching the gospel for 50 years. People say, but you retired from the conference seven years ago. Why aren't you sitting on the beach? It is because of the man hanging on the cross. That is why. I cannot understand how people can call themselves ministers and retire and walk away from it as though they'd never been called. Perhaps they hadn't been. But gratitude drives us on. And you don't do it because you have to. You do it because you want to. He said he lost everything, but he gained everything. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, my friend. He did not claim to be sinless, did he? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said, I am not a sinless person, but I am covered by the blood of Jesus and I am forgetting the things which are behind. And he said, I am pressing on for the goal. So if you feel you're not good enough to be saved, you're right. You're not good enough to be saved. But we are not saved because we are good enough. We are saved because Christ is good enough. Amen. That is the good news of the gospel. Here we're talking about perfection, but we're not talking about legalism. We're talking about Christian perfection. Look at verse 15. All of us who are mature, the King James Version says, all of us who are perfect. Ha, ha, ha. He says, I'm not perfect. But then he says, all of us who are perfect, all of us who are mature, Christian perfection is Christian maturity. Should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. If you understand this, it'll be a comfort to you. There are no sinless people. I remember I preached at the Minneapolis conference in 1988. There were two men standing out on the snow with a big fire going, passing out pamphlets. And they said to me, are you the man who tells people that there are no perfect people? I said, yes. They said, well, you're wrong. I said, why? They said, we are. We have never. We don't sin anymore. We are perfect and are completely deluded. But the Bible talks about Christian perfection. That means Christian maturity. By nature, we're sinful, but God would have us to become emotionally and spiritually stable. I went back to a little church where I'd been the pastor 40 years ago. <laughs> How would I find those people? They were all there, faithful. Some had died, but the rest faithful, consistent, caring, reliable, hospitable, loving. They were people, my friend, who were mature people. They were not flakes. They were not emotionally, spiritually Intellectually immature, they were mature people. That's what God demands of every person. And if you're looking for a husband, ladies, don't marry an immature person, and vice versa. Marry somebody who is mature. Verse 17 in onwards, join with others in following my example, brothers. And take care of those who live according to the pattern we told you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Goodness. Can you believe this? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be made like his glorious body. Paul here has a little aside and uh, these words appropriate for our generation as they were in the days of that degenerate society, the Roman society. He talks about people who are controlled by their stomachs. He says they need to find salvation because no person who is controlled by his stomach can be a disciple of Christ. You say, but this is too strong. It is the word of God. One man has rightly observed that great eaters and great drinkers are seldom great at anything else. Gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. And when Christ comes into a man or a woman's life, There is a mighty infusion of divine grace. And the person is saved to live a holy life. And then he says, one day we're going to get new bodies, forever young, no disease. No death, no funerals, and no tears. We are talking here today not about popular Christianity, which is damning millions of people in this country and around the world, but we're talking about apostolic Christianity. We're talking about the Christianity of the Bible. And that Christianity comes from a relationship with Christ. Chapter 4. Verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He says, stand firm. Don't look back. Don't give up. Years ago, I had a man working with me and for me. And he had a reputation from going from one church to another and from one job to another. I said, why do you move around so much? He said, I stay while it's fun. That's how some people stay in their marriages. They stay While it's fun. That's how some people stay in their relationship with God. They stay until it gets hard. But Paul says, stand firm. If you believe you're right, don't let anybody push you around. If you believe you're right, don't move, don't. Bend, don't bow, don't budge, and you won't burn. Stand firm. Have some gumption. Have some backbone. Verse two. I plead with you, a dear, and I plead with Cinta to agree with each other in the Lord. <laughs> yes, and I ask you, loyal Yoke Fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here he's talking about unity without uniformity. These people were, <laughs> they were frail, sinful people. They weren't perfect people. They had disagreements. That's okay. But just make it right. Then he talks about the faithful women. The New Testament is full of faithful women. There is no record in the New Testament of a woman ever doing an evil deed to Christ. You can't say that about the men. You've got the women, Mary, the mother, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna. You can read about them in the Bible. If you read Romans 16, not today, but the last chapter, Paul lists all of his friends, and so many of them are godly women. Women have been called in a special way to be the disciples of Christ. Then he says, those, verse 3, those whose names are in the book of life. You know, folks, What I want more than anything else is to get my name written down in the book of life. Verses 4 to 7, listen to these words. Rejoice in the Lord always, even when you lose your home. Even when you lose your job. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. When you meet a Christian, you ought to meet a sunny, happy, rejoicing person. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry, he says. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, be thankful. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, be gentle, be not anxious, pray with thanksgiving, have God's peace. These are some of the benefits of being a Christian. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. A Christian ought to be the most positive person. Sometimes I meet people now, not none of you folks, but sometimes when a person comes to see me, I brace myself. Because after 10 minutes with that person, I feel I need to lie down for two or three hours and recover. Some people are so negative that they suck the marrow out of your bones. They don't know Christ. A Christian ought to be a person with whom you can s- spend some time, and after you've spent time with that person, you are charged up and you feel taller and stronger, and better, and you feel you can go on. A Christian is called to think happy thoughts. We're going to come to verse, skip down a little, come to verse 11 and 12. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Christian is not always rushing around to buy something so he'll feel better. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I can say amen to that. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, my friend, when you know Christ, you will be content. You hear what I'm saying? Verse 13 I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Whatever God calls you to do, you can do it through Christ. I can testify to that. If God calls you to do something, you can do it. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Therefore, keep on keeping on. I can do all things through Christ. Now, I want you to come down a little bit further. We're going to come to verse 19. But my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Please look at me. I want to testify about something. I know that some folks have got faith. Other folks only talk about faith. But I want to tell you something. If you do the will of God, God will supply your needs. We've received a phone call asking us to run a huge campaign in China. Can you believe this? I have no idea. I'm afraid even to think of it. It, I'm serious. It costs millions. It would be a training school for all the Christian leaders in China. I've had people say to me, you don't have a lot of faith apparently. I say, you're right. I don't have a lot. But apparently you don't have any at all or else you'd be doing it. When people say, why don't you do so-and-so, don't you have any faith? I say, why aren't you doing it? Huh? But I can testify today and raise my right hand that after preaching this gospel for 50 years, I've never been in want. God has always and continues to supply my need. I want you to have a partnership with Christ. There are some folks who don't have enough faith even to pay their tithe. They say, i got faith. Well, you pay tithe. No, I don't pay tithe. Well, you know, why don't you? You don't have enough faith. The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. I know people who pay two tithes and three tithes and four tithes and they don't know what to do with all their money. God pours it out. But you've got to have faith. And some of you are not mature. But as you become mature, and as you know Christ more, your faith is going to grow. And you're going to step out of the out of the darkness. Some of you are walking in the darkness. Some of you don't haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. You're full of religiosity, and it's not worth a hill beans, it's worth nothing. But when a person steps out of the darkness and starts to walk with Jesus, then he's got a lot of cause for rejoicing. And I want you to know you can't keep this gospel of St. Paul's down. I want you to look at verse 21, 22. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Caesar hated Christ. Caesar hated the gospel. But the people who were working for Caesar were becoming Christians. You can't keep it down. You can't keep the man down, the man Christ Jesus, because he's alive. And even if you and I apostatize and we give up and we say, this is not for me, I don't want I can't. With all these excuses, God is going to have a multitude saved in the kingdom and some out of Caesar's household. Verse 23, thank you, Paul. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The Cottery Pot is a self supporting ministry with a global mission. We believe that the most important thing that we can do in this tremendous hour is to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We do not believe that this is business as usual. We believe that we are living in the closing hours in the history of this world. Bless your heart, friend. Look at the signs that are being fulfilled almost every day. The signs of the times are shouting at us and they're saying, Jesus is coming soon. I want you to be my partner in global mission. I want you to be my partner in helping to tell the world about the coming of Jesus. I want you to be my partner in the preaching of the distinctive truths of the three angels' messages. Please check us out at the new Carter Report website, Carter Report. Org. We have a special section whereby you can ask questions and I will give you the answers from the living word of the living God. That is the thecardareport.org. My friend, we want you to join us in the mission to preach the gospel in China, in India, in Australia, in Africa, in the United States of America, wherever people are lost and wherever people need to hear the good news that Jesus saves. Please check us out. The new Carter Report website, carterreport.org. I want to hear from you today.
1: battles I would face, forever running, but losing the race, were it not for grace.